Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. To go where too few have gone before. A production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net and the webalchemist.net. You can find my book, Empowered Manifestation, at empoweredmanifestation.com. You can find me on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. And uh, the date today is the 20th of February 2021. And today's show is titled Brave New World or 1984. Voter fraud cases, mean Dems, and who's most popular? So another interesting week, uh, as <laughs> they all seem to be at the moment. Um, quite a few things have happened this week. Um, we had President's Day. I'm going to cover a little bit on that. Sadly, Rush Limbo died on the 17th of February, and this is where I was. I'd be. I'll be relating the Dems mean-spirited and downright nasty responses to his passing. Um, we've had Texas freeze, unparalleled weather. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's down at San Padre Island about that the other day, um, be covering things on that subject. Um, we've got... <laughs> Joe Biden going to bed early and playing video games at Camp David. Uh, Kamala Harris taking over the calls to international leaders. Very interesting. We've got um, Pelosi being asked what she knew about uh, January 6th and that she's going to be setting up a, a commission of inquiry similar to the 9-11 one. We've got the Supreme Court decisions coming next week, but the, they were considering the cases yesterday on Friday. And um, we've got, interestingly, a Dominion class action lawsuit, which I'll be sharing as well. So I want to start the show a little differently today because I found a an article um, on the McCullough website and if you're not familiar with Dr McCullough he's got um, a website that's very popular and it's largely to do with health um, but he has also comments on other things as well and this is why I titled the show Brave New World or 1984. This particular article is really looking at how the novels by George Orwell, 1984, and by Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, which each in their own way seem to be predictions of what we're seeing play out today. So I thought it would be useful um, to take more of a bird's eye view of this. You know, I cover um, individual aspects of what's going on in the different news stories, but this is really looking at it from much at a much higher level. So let me start by reading this article um, and it says, well, it's actually titled Rare Video of Brave New World Author from 63 Years Ago. So the video is at the top of the article and then it goes on to really analyse the the approaches in the two books, how they're quite different, but how in each in their own way is representative of what we're seeing play out um, uh, in the current time. Uh, it starts, the video above features a 1958 interview of Aldous Huxley with Mike Wallace. It really is a great glimpse from the past. Wallace was smoking on the set, but that was natural back then, and Rod Serling, who produced The Twilight Zone, did the same. Interestingly, they both developed lung cancer. 
You might recall that Huxley wrote the classic novel Brave New World, in which he presents a dystopian vision of a future society known as the, in quotes, world state, a society ruled by science and efficiency where emotions and individuality have been eradicated and personal relationships are few. Children are cloned and bred in hatcheries where they are conditioned for their role in society from an early age. There are no mothers and fathers as natural procreation is outlawed. There are no family units. Embryos are sorted and given hormonal treatments based on their destined societal classification, which from highest to lowest are alpha, beta, gamma, delta and epsilon. The alphas are bred and conditioned to be leaders, while the epsilons are designed for menial labour free of higher intellectual capacities. At the time Huxley wrote the book in 1931, it was published the year after, optimism about technological advancements were high and there was widespread belief that technology would solve many of the world's problems. Brave New World demonstrates the naivety of such hopes by showing what can happen when technocracy is taken to its extreme. Huxley believed his world of horror was right around the corner and today, just shy of 60 years later, we're starting to see Huxley's world state closing in around us in the form of the Fourth Industrial Revolution's transhumanist agenda and the Great Reset, designed to trap us inside a net of constant surveillance and external control. Now, I'm not sure why it says just shy of 60 years later, because that would only take us to 1991. But uh, perhaps this is a, a repost of an earlier article. I don't know. It's certainly dated today, or maybe you just did the maths wrong. <laughs> Who knows? But it made me stop and think. Anyway, continuing on, Enemies of Freedom... Huxley also penned a series of essays called Enemies of Freedom, which he discusses in the featured interview. The series outlines impersonal forces, that's in quotes, that are, open quote, pushing in the direction of progressively less freedom, close quote, and, in quotes, technological devices that can be used to accelerate the process by imposing ever greater control of the population. And of course, we're seeing that hugely with all the big tech censorship. Anyway, carrying on, Huxley points out that as technology becomes more complex and complicated, it becomes increasingly necessary to form more elaborate hierarchical organisations to manage it all. Technology also allows for more effective propaganda machines that can be managed through those same control hierarchies. Huxley cites the success of Hitler, noting that aside from Hitler's effective use of terror and brute force, he also used a very efficient form of propaganda. He had the radio, which he used to the fullest extent and was able to impose his will on an immense mass of people. With the advent of television, Huxley foresaw how an authoritarian leadership could become a source of, in quotes, a one-pointed drumming of a single idea effectively brainwashing the public. Beyond that, Huxley predicted the technological capability to, in quotes, bypass the rational side of man and manipulate behaviour by influencing people on a subconscious level. This is precisely what we're faced with today. Google, but also to a large extent Facebook, has been collecting data on you for nearly two decades. They have created massive server farms that are capable of analysing this data with deep learning and artificial intelligence software to mine information and generate incredibly precise details on just what type of propaganda and narrative is required to surreptitiously manipulate you into the behaviour they are seeking. Huxley also points out the dangers inherent in advertising, especially as it pertains to marketing of political ideas and ideologies. Um, this is a quote, Democracy depends on the individual voter making an intelligent and rational choice for what he regards as his enlightened self-interest in any given circumstance, but 
There are particular purposes for selling goods and what the dictatorial propagandists are doing is to try to bypass the rational side of men and to appeal directly to these unconscious forces below the surface so that you are, in a way, making nonsense of the whole democratic procedure, which is based on conscious choice or on rational ground. Children are quite clearly much more suggestible than the average grown-up and, again, suppose that for one reason or another all the propaganda was in the hands of one or very few agencies, you would have an extraordinarily powerful force playing on these children who are going to grow up and be adults. You can read in the trade journal the most critical accounts of how necessary it is to get hold of the children because then they will be loyal brand buyers later on. Translate this into political terms. The dictator says there will be loyal ideology buyers when they're grown up. And that's the end of the quote. Decentralisation protects freedom. Centralisation robs it. Huxley argues that in order to create the dystopian future presented in his book, you have to centralise wealth, power and control. Hence, the way to protect against it is to insist on decentralisation. It's surprising that even 60 years ago, Huxley was wise enough to understand this profoundly important principle. I believe that it is the decentralisation of the internet that is required to prevent censorship and manipulation in the future. This means that websites and platforms are not stored in one central place that can easily be controlled and manipulated, but rather widely distributed to thousands, if not millions, of computers all over the world. It would work because if there is no central storage, it can't be removed. Now, I'm not sure about that because in, in my understanding, which, you know, I, I do a lot of work on, on the internet, but I'm not very much into the technical background of it, but as far as my understanding goes, the internet consists of distributed um, computers all over the world because that's why we have different hosting providers for websites and everything on the net. So I'm not quite sure that that statement is absolutely true. Anyway, continuing on, decentralised platforms allow the majority of power to reside with the individual Technologies that can be easily misused to control the public narrative must also remain largely decentralised so that no one person or agency ends up with too much power to manipulate and influence the public. Our modern-day social media monopolies are a perfect example of what Huxley warned us about. The same goes for economic institutions too. Today we can see how the role of the central bank in the US known as the Federal Reserve a privately owned entity with the power to break entire countries apart for profit is forcing us towards a new global economic system that will impoverish and quite literally enslave everyone, with the exception of the technocratic social bankers themselves and their globalist allies. Our Orwellian present. A contemporary and student of Huxley was George Orwell, real name Eric Blair, who wrote another dystopian classic, 1984, published in 1949. The two books, 1984 and Brave New World, share the commonality that they both depict a future devoid of the very things that we associate with having a healthy, free, creative, purposeful and enjoyable life. In 1984, the context is a society where an all-knowing, all-seeing big brother rules with an iron fist, citizens are under constant watch, privacy is non-existent and language is twisted to justify and glorify oppression. Some of the spectacles of 2020 could have easily been ripped straight out of the pages of 1984, as riots were described by cheery news anchors as, in quotes, mostly peaceful protests, even as city blocks were engulfed in flames behind them and pe people were bleeding to death in the streets. For those familiar with the book, such scenes were difficult to watch without being reminded of 1984's Double Think. Orwell versus Huxley. There are differences between the two works, however. While Orwell foresees people being forcefully enslaved by an external agency and kept in that state by the same, 
Huxley's vision is one in which people have been so thoroughly conditioned that they come to love their servitude. At that point, no external authoritarian ruler is actually required. If you think about it, I'm sure you will agree that this is clearly the most efficient strategy to take control of the population. Moore's law and the exponential improvement in computer processing capacity has exponentially accelerated the global elite's ability to precisely identify how to implement peaceful control that will have the majority virtually begging for tyranny. In Huxley's Brave New World, people have fallen in love with the very technologies that prevent them from thinking and acting of their free will. So the enslaved maintain their own control structure. As noted by Neil Postman in his book Amusing Ourselves to Death, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business, in which he compares and contrasts the futures presented by Huxley and Orwell, and open quote, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive of us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy and the centrifugal bumble puppy. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny fail to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, Huxley added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. That's the end of the quote. The promise of the Great Reset. And there is a short video beneath that, which is a repeat of... The same phrase from different people talking about build back better, which, of course, was the slogan for the Biden presidential campaign. And the video has various politicians and ex-politicians, including Hillary Clinton. Um, We've got Greta Thunberg in there. Uh, Anyway, it's less than two minutes, so I'll... If you want to follow the link to that, um, I will share that for the description of the recording. And uh, anyway, this continues. One can argue about who predicted the future best, Orwell or Huxley. But in the final analysis, I think we're looking at a mixture of both. Although it seems obvious to me that Huxley was more prescient and he was actually Orwell's mentor. Huxley's concerns are far more serious as the programming is essentially silent and it is patently evident that the technocrats have been highly successful in implementing this strategy in the past year. That said, we're facing both the threat of externally imposed authoritarianism and control predicted by Orwell and the subversive subliminal programming through mindless entertainment and the law of convenience proposed by Huxley. Undoubtedly, the combination is a powerful one and likely far more effective than either control strategy by itself. I've already touched on how Orwell's work is playing out in the real world through the double-think mental gymnastics we get from the controlled, tightly centralised mainstream media these days. For an example of how Huxley's ideas have influenced the technocracy's planning, look no further than the globalist's call to, in quotes, build back better. And the World Economic Forum's 2030 agenda below, which includes the strangely ominous dictum that you will own nothing and be happy. And there's another short video included. The unstated implication is that the world's resources will be owned and controlled by the technocratic elite and you'll have to pay for the temporary use of absolutely everything. Nothing will actually belong to you. 
All items and resources are to be used by the collective, while actual ownership is restricted to an upper stratum of social class. Just how, this, just how will this imposed serfdom make you happy? Again, the unstated implication is that lack of ownership is a marvellous convenience. Rent a pot and then return it. You don't need storage space. Imagine the freedom. They even promise the convenience of automatic drone delivery straight to your door. Artificial intelligence, which is siphoning your data about every aspect of your existence through nearly every piece of technology and appliance you own, will run your life, predicting your every mood and desire, catering to your every whim. Ah, the luxury of not having to make any decisions. This is the mindset they're trying to program into you, and for most it appears to be working. For others who can see the propaganda for what it is, these promises look and feel like proverbial mousetraps. Once you bite the cheese, you'll be stuck, robbed of your freedom forevermore. And as Huxley told Wallace, individual freedom is really a prerequisite for a genuinely productive society. And this is a quote from Huxley. Life of man is ultimately impossible without a considerable measure of individual freedom, initiative and creativity. All these things that we value, and I think value properly, are impossible without a large measure of freedom. When Wallace challenges Huxley on this by pointing out that the Soviet Union was successfully developing both militarily and artistically, despite being a tightly controlled regime, Huxley counters by saying that those doing creative work, especially scientists, were also granted far greater personal freedom and prosperity than everyone else. As long as they kept their noses out of politics, they were brought into the upper echelon and given a great deal of freedom. And without this freedom, they would not have been able to be as creative and inventive, Huxley says. The threat of the new normal. The anti-human new normal that world leaders are now urging us to accept and embrace is the trap of all traps. Unless your most cherished dream is to lie in bed for the rest of your life, your body atrophying away with a pair of VR virtual reality goggles permanently strapped to your face, you must resist and oppose the new normal every day going forward. As noted by Spiked editor Brendan O'Neill in his February 5th, 2021 article, while the first lockdown was marked by a sense of camaraderie and the promise of it being a temporary measure that we can get through if we just address the problem together, by the third round, all forms of social connection have vanished, as has the anticipation of a return to normality. And there's a quote, uh, in the first lockdown, the dream of normality was what kept people going. It was actively encouraged by some politicians and even some in the doom-laden media. This time, dreams of normality are treated as dysfunction, as a species of denial, O'Neill writes. Make no mistake, the media's rebuke of a return to normalcy as a nonsensical pipe dream is dangerous propaganda territory. The reality is we could easily open everything back up and go back to business as usual and nothing out of the ordinary in terms of sickness and death would occur. People die every year. It's an inevitable reality of life. And up until the last two weeks of 2020, there actually were no greater number of deaths recorded than the year prior and the year prior to that and the one before that. While new numbers released by the CDC indicate that 2020's final two weeks may have pushed the total deaths beyond 2019's, final data won't be available for months, COVID-19 simply isn't as lethal as initially suspected. It primarily kills the elderly and the chronically ill. What's most interesting is that suicide deaths among teens went up dramatically as lockdowns and school closings dragged on. What's more, we now have effective prophylactics and treatments that ensure the loss of life due to COVID-19 can be radically minimised. Yet our leaders don't want you to think in those terms. They want you to remain fearful because they have a deep appreciation of the value of fear in catalyzing the precise type of capitulation and surrender they need in order to implement the Great Reset. 
tragically, many citizens have so embraced the fear culture they don't even need an authoritarian figure to tell them to comply with rules that have no medical benefit anymore. They'll happily act as the designated COVID police, making sure everyone around them complies. Hell hath no fury like one caught in the unsound belief that they will die if you don't wear a mask. This is no way to live. It's not sane and it's not healthy. And the prophetic works of Huxley and Orwell illustrate where it will all end if we don't push back. Never surrender to the new normal. In closing, I'd like you to ponder some portions from O'Neill's article in which he warns us about the threat posed by the culture of fear itself, which is just as dangerous and damaging as any virus. Spiked argued that COVID-19 would be refracted through the culture of fear, potentially harming our ability to understand and deal with this novel danger. This has come to pass. The shift from paying lip service to social solidarity to encouraging the populace to think of itself as diseased represents a victory for the degraded view of humanity gifted to us by the culture of fear. The government's early move from encouraging people to take responsibility for limiting their social interactions to using older methods of terror to ensure compliance with lockdown measures confirmed the culture of fears reduction of people from citizens to be engaged with to problems to be managed. The failure to sustain the education of the next generation spoke to the exhaustion of bourgeois confidence of the state itself that underpins the culture of fear and the current threat of a new normal of a forever post-pandemic dystopia of distanced, masked, pseudo-interaction demonstrates that our future will be shaped at least in part by the ideologies and forces of the culture of fear. Yes, the new normal being talked up by the political and cultural elites will partially be informed by the experience of COVID-19 and the necessity of being prepared for a future virus. But it will also be shaped by the culture of fear and its attendant anti-human, anti-progress ideologies. Soon the practical task of minimising and managing the impact of COVID-19 will have been largely completed, leaving us with the far larger humanist task of combating this culture and making the case for a freer, more dynamic, dazzling future of growth, knowledge and engagement. Those who underestimate the culture of fear will be ill-prepared for these future battles. They will have a tendency to surrender to the new normal. The rest of us should stand firm, even in the face of smears and willful misrepresentations, and continue to recognise and confront the real and debilitating consequences that fear has on everyday life and on humanity's future. End quote. And that's the end of the article. I found that article really interesting, which is why I wanted to share it with you, because we have been seeing this play out. The number of people who have been taken in by all the propaganda about COVID-19 and these hugely exaggerated numbers of so-called COVID deaths, although interestingly, um, virtually no flu deaths have been registered in 2020. You know, there's the joke about COVID-19 has cured the flu. So we know it's all been misrepresented, but yet we have people who you know, become the COVID police, challenge people who don't wear a mask and celebrating having the vaccine, which is still really untested and hasn't been officially approved and is actually causing a lot of adverse effects, even deaths, as I've reported on previous shows. So the brainwashing, unfortunately, is working and, you know, those of us who are standing up to this and challenging it, we just need to carry on and hope that more and more people will wake up to not only the fact that this so-called pandemic was part of the uh, New World Order agenda to take over and lead people um, to accept this great reset, as they call it, um, it's also 
nothing like as dangerous as they made it out to be, as as uh, proved by the death statistics. And incidentally, you know, there's been a major decline in cases since Biden got into the White House. Um, but also it's been used to get people to have these vaccinations, which is also part of the New World Order depopulation agenda. And people who just listen to the mainstream media are completely missing the point of this. And they're walking around like, you know, hypnotised people in these masks without even thinking to question why on earth they're doing it. They have literally become like automatons, you know, putting the mask on when they're meant to do as they're told and and, uh, keep those things on, which are actually doing more harm than good. Anyway... Um, little rant over, I shall move on to the next topic, which is to do with the voter fraud cases that were uh, considered by the Supreme Court yesterday. And this is an article from Gateway Pundit. Never mistake my quiet for inaction. Sydney Powell speaks out after SCOTUS meetings Friday on election fraud, expects orders and opinions next week. The U.S. Supreme Court was set to consider President Trump's voter fraud cases in Pennsylvania, Georgia and Michigan on Friday. These three cases are on the Supreme Court docket for Friday. Um, And there's a quote, a tweet here from Vernon at Redux Vernon. SCOTUS conference today includes Trump's Georgia, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania election fraud cases. As a reminder, Pennsylvania Democrat officials changed the election rules weeks before the election without consulting the legislative branch. This is unlawful in the state. It will be interesting to see if SCOTUS is the latest lawless branch of government following today's decisions. Here is more on Friday's Supreme Court cases. Case number 20-542, Republican Party of Pennsylvania petitioner versus Veronica de Graffenreid, Acting Secretary of Pennsylvania et al. It used to be Republican Party of Pennsylvania, petitioner versus Kathy Bookvar, Secretary of Pennsylvania et al. Case number 2574, Jake Corman et al. Petitioners versus Pennsylvania Democratic Party et al. Case number 2799, um, Lynn Wood Jr. Petitioner versus Brad Raffensperger, Georgia Secretary of State et al. Case number 2815, Timothy King et al. Petitioners versus Gretchen Whitmer, Governor of Michigan et al. Case number 2845, Donald J. Trump for President Inc. Petitioner versus Veronica de Graffenreid, Acting Secretary of Pennsylvania et al used to be Donald J. Trump for President, Inc., petitioner versus Kathy Bookvar, Secretary of Pennsylvania, et al. Case number 2882, Donald J. Trump, et al., petitioners versus Joseph R. Biden, et al. Attorney Sidney Powell, who was silent all day on Friday, posted updates on her Telegram page on Friday night. Sidney Powell told her subscribers on Telegram that she expects orders to come out on Monday of next week. Sidney Powell expects opinions to be announced on Thursday. For all interested in the status of cases set for conference today at SCOTUS, today was just a meeting for the justices to discuss issues and cases. We expect any orders to come out on Monday and any opinions that might be ready to be announced on Thursday. Thank you for watching these issues. That was Sidney Powell on Telegram and she's linked to defendingtherepublic.org. And... It goes on, and regardless of what the court decides on cases pending now or next week from the pre-January 6 cases we filed, we are not done. Never mistake my quiet for inaction. And more from Sydney. Thank you all for your support. You inspire our entire team and it's truly a team effort. While you are here, could you please help me double my subscribers? I'm more than 800,000 behind what I had when Twitter feared me. Thank you all for the help. You're amazing. Thank you for all the kind words of support, encouragement and prayer. 
So expect news on the 2020 election fraud cases on Monday or Thursday. We will soon find out if the entire judicial branch is as corrupted as the Department of Justice. God help us. And that's the end of that uh, article. And we've actually got more um, evidence of voter fraud coming out. Um, This again is Gateway Pundit on February 18th. Virginia voter identified 1.7 million vote difference between state report and externally reported data, but then couldn't find anyone to address his concerns. A Virginia voter identified a 1.7 million vote difference between the final state results in the 2020 election and external results reported on election night. When he attempted to address his issues with authorities, no one would answer his questions. A voter in Virginia shared with us that he read an article that indicated voter fraud in Virginia in the 2020 presidential election. The article published at the American Thinker in November was similar to the one we posted a week earlier regarding the late night dumps in Virginia on election night. And it's a link to that earlier article. The voter found the source data for the analysis at the New York Times Edison news feed released after the election. This data is what was used by TGP in its analysis right after the election as well. The Virginia voter noticed, like we did, that there were huge 300,000 ballot drops for Joe Biden in Virginia that were reversed after being posted twice and then entered a third time and left alone. The likelihood of this happening in the real world is nil, but errors might have occurred accounting for adjustments that perhaps were addressed by the state. The final results of the New York Times Edison data feed were very close to the final results reported by the state. Therefore, the voter believed these results at the New York Times Edison data feed were correct. Next, the voter attempted to reconcile the results from Virginia's change file with the results from the New York Times Edison data feed. When he did this, he found 1.7 million votes were missing in the change file. The change file was incomplete at best. The voter was convinced the change file should agree with the state's final results. So next, the voter emailed the Department of Elections on December 5th and requested that the change log be updated. The department did not respond. He then contacted the governor through the Virginia website and again received no response. He then worked with an assistant for his state delegate. She reached out to the department multiple times, but they have yet to provide a response. It is certainly a concern if there is a problem with the final numbers certified in Virginia, but there are two additional problems here which no doubt other Americans in other states are having as well. The information on the state's websites is not well explained and may be incomplete. There is no clear known place where Americans can go to get answers to their questions related to elections, especially the 2020 election. Due to the non-response from Virginia politicians and state employees and based on the huge ballot entries, there are now additional concerns that the election was stolen in that state. And we know that there was such rampant voter fraud um, being perpetrated by varying means like the ballot dumps but also the dominion systems and um, I was alerted to a class auction lawsuit that's been um, that's being filed and you can find out about it at dominionclassaction.com and what it says is as an overview we have filed suit against dominion voting systems Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, certain state officials and others for infringing upon our right to vote, assemble and speak freely. Plaintiffs from several states across the nation have joined to establish a class of registered voters to prosecute the defendants for unconstitutionally interfering in the 2020 presidential election and suppressing the speech of those who object. Our goal is free and fair elections. To accomplish this, we must hold those who engage in election interference accountable for their individual behaviour. Every registered voter has a fundamental right to vote for the President of the United States. As our complaint outlines, the defendants engaged in a coordinated effort to manipulate the outcome of the last election. Accordingly, 
We will harness the power of the people to utilise the full force of the legal system to enjoin the actions of the unlawful and demand monetary damages for the class. You can help by reading the complaint below. If you believe that your rights have been harmed, then join us or donate below. And you then go to uh, how to join. And the way to join is to actually complete an affidavit. So, um, and also to provide ID to, to prove that you, you are actually eligible to vote, that you're a US citizen. Of course, I'm not, so... Um, but the the affidavit, there's, you know, quite a, a large section of it that's pre-prepared and it's asking for people to give their individual um, reasons why they believe that the presidential election was fraudulent. So um, if you're so inclined to do that, that's the place to go. So moving on to the next topic, as I said in the introduction... Uh, sadly, Rush Limbaugh died on February 17th and unfortunately, yet again, the uh, the Democrats and the elites from Hollywood have really shown their true colours and mean-spiritedness, nastiness. Um, first article is from resistthemainstream.org. Rest in piss. Twitter lets mocking hashtags trend following Rush Limbaugh death as leftist cheer. Twitter allowed mocking phrases and hashtags to trend on Wednesday following the death of conservative radio icon Rush Limbaugh, who lost his battle with cancer as leftist cheered. We, the Limbaugh family, are deeply saddened to announce that our beloved Rush has died, Limbaugh's wife Catherine Adams Limbaugh said in a post on her husband's Facebook account. Rush Hudson Limbo III will forever be the greatest of all time, a courageous, brilliant, gentle giant and radio pioneer. Our entire family is so thankful to everyone who prayed and cared for Rush, especially the audience he adored. Rush's love for our country and for all of you will live on eternally. Shortly following the news of Limbo's passing, Twitter allowed phrases like good riddance, rot in hell and rest in piss to trend on their platform. And there's a tweet from Caleb Hull. Um, it says, rot in hell is what Twitter decided to put right below the Rush Limbo trend. So it's got a, a screenshot as well of um, the Twitter trending post. Politics trending Rush Limbaugh, conservative radio host and author Rush Limbaugh has died at the age of 70, Fox News reports, trending with good riddance, rot in hell. Rush Limbaugh was a coward and white supremacist. He aggressively and cynically exploited divisions in our country by weaponising hatred and bigotry for his own personal gain. He was in service to his own greed, prejudice and hypocrisy. And that is how history will remember him, far-left activist Charlotte Clymer wrote on Twitter. I mean, what hypocrisy, hatred and bigotry from somebody <laughs> accusing Rush of hatred and bigotry. I don't know. And hypocrisy. Um, if Rush Limbaugh deserves credit for anything, it's his pioneering work in spreading disinformation and directly enabling our nation's current state a vast distrust of experts and spurning of good faith in the public discourse. He will not be missed by rational adults. And another one, whether you loved him or hated him, and there are very few people in between, Rush Limbaugh was indisputably a force of historic proportions, CNN commentator David Axelrod wrote. Over the past three decades, he did as much to polarise our politics as anyone and laid the groundwork for Trump and Trumpism. Yale Law School professor Scott Shapiro wrote on Twitter, I wouldn't say I was happy that Rush Limbaugh died, it's more like euphoria. Shapiro later set his Twitter account to private following backlash that he received online. I should think so. Rush Limbaugh was one of the most harmful and poisonous people in the modern United States of America, leftist Jared Yates Sexton tweeted. His pursuit of wealth and power hurt untold numbers of people, 
and wrought incalculable damage to politics as a public good, society as a whole and the planet itself. Far-left commentator Mehdi Hassan wrote, Rush Limbaugh died. Right-wingers on Twitter are heaping praise on him. I challenge you to read the things he said about minorities. Black people, gay people, women, sexual consent, torture, climate, even the January 6th attack, and find things to praise in there, I challenge you. Far-left commentator uh, Senk Eiger, I don't know how to pronounce that, but anyway, wrote... The idea that you say artificially nice things about people after they die is weird. I've never understood the logic of it. Rush Limbaugh was a terrible person while he was alive. He made a living by attacking the powerless. His death does not in any way change or redeem that. News organisations also sought to smear Limbaugh, with ABC News calling him controversial, HuffPost calling him bigoted, CNBC calling him incendiary and the Washington Post calling him a provocateur. And then we have Hollywood celebrities at it as well. Gateway, uh, sorry, Breitbart.com. Hollywood celebrities celebrate Rush Limbaugh death. Cancer killed the cancer. Left-wing Hollywood celebrities wasted little time in popping the champagne following news of Rush Limbaugh's death. As Breitbart News reported, the 70-year-old conservative radio legend died Wednesday morning following a battle with advanced lung cancer. His wife, Catherine Limbo, announced at the beginning of Wednesday's radio programme. Ignoring any sense of taste or decorum, the stars piled on with nasty insults, including actress Amber Tamblin, who wished Rush Limbo to R.I.P. rot in purgatory, and her husband, actor David Cross, who declared that cancer killed the cancer. Other Hollywood elites who celebrated Limbo's death include John Cusack, Mark Moran, Larry Charles and Star Trek veteran George Takei. David Cross and Amber Tamlin led the Hollywood hate parade with matching his and her insults aimed at the late radio host. And so it goes on. I'm not going to read the rest because it's uh, it's very unpleasant, I have to say. So the next thing I want to talk about is who is most popular. And uh, this relates to President's Day, which, of course, was Monday. Um, Gateway Pundit, crowd goes wild as President Trump drives past in motorcade at rally in West Palm Beach on President's Day. Uh, Trump supporters are holding a huge President's Day celebration in West Palm Beach, Florida today for President Trump. There are no celebrations for Joe Biden today, but we're expected to believe Dementia Joe got 81 million votes, which is why I put in the title, Who's the Most Popular? Um, President Trump surprised the Florida rally goers on Monday and the crowd went wild. And there is a, a video included um, and it's in a tweet by Storm Beast, President Trump drive by in Florida. Happy President's Day. And a lot of people were were tweeting or posting with the hashtag still my president, including me, actually. President Trump loves the American people and enjoys connecting with his supporters. In contrast, Joe Biden has contempt for the American voter and hid from the public the entire 2020 election and beyond. Biden spent all weekend playing video games at Camp David and used bad weather as an excuse to hide from the press until tomorrow. While Trump is out with the people, Biden is disconnected from a country that supposedly was so enamoured with him that they elected him in a historical landslide. Leaving Camp David after POTUS Joe Biden's first visit there as president, that's by Jeff Mason, and it's a video of the motorcade. And then we have Epoch Times. Trump surprises supporters at President's Day celebration. Former President Donald Trump surprised supporters in Florida on Monday, driving by them in a black SUV. Trump waved to people lining both sides of a road in West Palm Beach as onlookers cheered and snapped pictures. We love Trump. We love Trump, people shouted as the car that Trump was riding in moved slowly by. They later erupted in chants of USA, USA. A number of pro-Trump and American flags were waving in the breeze. The crowd was gathered to celebrate President's Day. 
Trump was driving from the Trump International Golf Club where he was spotted playing golf. The drive-by evoked memories of January 20th when Trump was transported past supporters to his Mar-a-Lago resort after flying to Florida from Washington. Since then, Trump has rarely appeared in public. Trump's former and current advisers, though, have regularly appeared on TV stations and social media, saying he will be engaged to help Republicans flip the House of Representatives and Senate in 2022. But some leading Republicans sided with Democrats against Trump in the second impeachment saga and argue he is no longer the head of the party. Um, this does go on into that. I'm not going to, to read all that. Um, but it is interesting that the the Republicans who voted with the Democrats for impeachment are being, I think virtually all of them are being censored um, in their home state, which quite right too, in my opinion. And then to really underscore how popular Trump is compared with, with the creepy Joe... Um, again, Gateway Pundit. Wow, half a million patriots watched Trump's celebration in West Palm Beach, Florida on RSBN. Trump supporters held a huge President's Day celebration in West Palm Beach, Florida today for President Trump. And it goes on, I think, with the same content as I read in the previous article. Um, and this post does include the video of the rally on RSBN Right Side Broadcasting Network. So it just goes to show how popular uh, Trump continues to be because he genuinely did get virtually, I think the, the quoted number is virtually 80 million votes. It's, I think it stands around 79 million. And uh, we've just got to pray that this... Uh, legal battle plays out and that the Supreme Court will, um, you know, vote in favour of these cases going forward. Um, I have read a number of articles and also on in X-22 report and various others that really confirm that Trump is determined to, to follow every possible legal course and if only if that fails, will he resort to the military intervention uh, through treason in terms of stealing the election. And, you know, said before that we've been seeing something similar play out in Myanmar. And I did see a report today that there's still people there that are protesting against the military takeover, even though the military announced that there will be an election and they will hand over power to whoever wins that election. But I would imagine just like here, there's a lot of people that have been brainwashed to believe that the election was free and fair, which couldn't be further from the truth. But, um, you know, this is why Trump has to be so careful in terms of how he approaches this and isn't cannot be accused of staging a coup against the Biden administration. Although what we're also seeing play out is what we all predicted, that Biden will be removed because of incapacity, inability to fulfil the role of president and... Kamala Harris will be installed and as I said earlier you know we've got Biden calling a lid the other day because of the weather and not I think he was due to fly to Michigan or somewhere and uh, he just said no the, the weather's too bad even though it wasn't even snowing at the time and Kamala Harris has been holding these calls with international leaders like Macron. So there's definitely uh, something like that going on. But we still hold the belief that this is all being staged as well, that uh, Biden isn't really in the White House. And it's interesting because a friend of mine on Facebook, he sent me a message and was saying that he went to a local store, which was run by an Afghan, who said that he knew about the arrests in in the capital, which I think I 
I reported on either last week or the week before. And when asked how he came to know about it, he said it was on, on Afghan TV, which he was able to watch. So some of the things that we suspect are going on but are not... Um, verifiable in terms of actual news other than you know alternative news and supposition in some cases it's actually being broadcast on other stations in across the world that aren't suppressing this information so you know that's interesting and talking about Kamala Harris I did see on telegram somebody had posted a video um, saying three people turned up to welcome Kamala Harris to her L.A. home. And it's showing, you know, three people, one holding a Biden-Harris poster um, with this motorcade of cars going past. And, you know, these things speak volumes and are really quite laughable to think that people really believe that the, they actually won the election fair and square. It's it's uh, farcical, theatre of the absurd, as I say. And just a final word on this week's show. Um, I mentioned about the Texas freeze, and I spoke to a friend of mine a couple of nights ago who is down on San Padre Island. She's a full-time RVer. She actually works at one of the RV parks down there. And I was asking her about the freeze and had she lost electricity and so on. Obviously, it's supplied to the park, so she hasn't got control over that. Um, and yes, she lost electricity for several days and even water because, of course, the the electric the electricity to power the pump that supplies the water they were out as well. So not only did they have this horrendous freeze and unprecedented snow but having no power and even no water on top of that but then there's something even even more outrageous and this is zero hedge outages morph into outrage as texans slap with mind-blowing power bills the rolling blackouts that plunged up to 15 million texas texans into darkness amid a historic cold snap, are diminishing by the end of the week. About 188,000 customers were without power in the state on Friday morning, days after power prices jumped from $50 per megawatt to more than $9,000. The horror stories pour in for those who had power this week during grid chaos as they are mind-boggled how their energy bills skyrocketed. None of these horrifying power bill stories below should be a shock as we describe to readers in the piece titled Power Bills to the Moon, Chaos, Shock as Electric Electricity Prices Across US Explode, that this would happen. Texans who are on a variable or index plans with power companies are only now reporting their bills have jumped hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars for the month. And it goes on to list all these cases. Uh, Royce Pierce told Newsweek he owes electric company Gritty $8,162.73 for his electricity usage this month. He said that's a massive increase from his usual $387 bill. Other horror stories of soaring power bills flood local television stations across the Lone Star State. Um... Mine is over $1,000, not sure how. 700 square foot apartment I've been keeping at 60 degrees. One couple said, when your electric company tells you to switch, but there's been a hold on switching for over a week now, using as little as possible 1,300 square foot house, and this is my bill. How is this fair? I only paid 1,200 for the whole 2020 year. Um, a tweet was accompanied by a screenshot of their bill that now stands at $3,800 for the month. Ty Williams told WFAA that his average electric bill is around 660 per month. He said it now stands at $17,000. Um, so the Texas power outrage has morphed into outrage for customers who had variable power rates. We don't want to speculate, but if small and medium-sized enterprises were on these plans, unhedged, 
Their bills could be absolutely devastating. Hopefully larger companies hedged against the spike in power rates. If not, their energy for this month could be astronomical. So it really is um, unbelievable um, that all of this should happen after Joe Biden gets inaugurated. You know, it really isn't a, a, a coincidence because there's so many stories of people being laid off because of the the um, Excel pipeline cancellation and all sorts of other things as well. So it's a sad time to see people in these kinds of situations. Anyway, that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next week. We'll have to see what happens with the Supreme Court and what else comes along to um, kind of leave us with our mouths open in shock and <laughs> disbelief. But anyway, um, just a reminder, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net and empoweredmanifestation.com. And thank you to Nancy for producing, as always. And be safe, be well, and hopefully I will see you next week. And bye for now. You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jan Shaw, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Live long and prosper. 